So far in our series, Church in the Wild, Faith in the Fray, we have seen that Peter really wants us to understand our position and our identity in Christ. He wants us to understand our position and identity in Christ and in the kingdom of God. And he wants us to have this play out in our daily lives. First and foremost, by the way that we love each other. But as we're going to see beginning today, there are specific relationships that Peter obviously is concerned about because he's going to go into detail about these relationships in order to make it plain how this identity in Christ is to play out in the wild world in which we live. The text that we're going to be looking at today has something to say to us about our relationship in politics. Our relationship in politics in general and our relationship with our government officials specifically. Before we look at verses 13 and 17 of chapter 2, which is going to be our main text this morning, I want us to quickly look at verses 11 and 12, 12 as a means of introduction. Now, Brother James, next week, is going to go into great detail about verses 11 and 12. But I want to use them just as an introduction because I don't think we can understand verses 13 and following and why Peter is talking about them unless we understand 11 and 12. So in verses 11 and 12, Peter reminds us that as believers, we are to live on earth as citizens of God's kingdom. Look at verse 11. He says, beloved, chapter 2, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. This is his way of saying you are in the kingdom of God. You are not of this worldly kingdom. You are not of this worldly system. So he wants us to live on the earth as citizens of God's kingdom. And then he says, and that as citizens of God's kingdom, we are to keep our conduct among the, the Gentiles honorable, verse 12. This is a way of saying that as God's citizens in his kingdom we are to keep our conduct among the lost world honorable. That's what he means by Gentiles. He's talking about the lost world. We as Christians are in the kingdom of God, and we are to keep our conduct among the lost world honorable. So that when they see our good deeds... We will put to silence ignorant slander that often comes believers' way. And one day they will glorify God because of us. So as a means of introduction, understand verse 11 and 12. In verse 11 and 12, Peter is saying, listen, Christians, you are a part of of God's kingdom. You are citizens in the kingdom of God. And as a result of this, you are to live among the lost world honorably so that the lost world will see your good deeds. You will put to silence slander that's coming your way and eventually... 
They will glorify God because of you. So when Peter starts talking about how we are to live in light of government and government officials and politics, he wants us to live in relationship with them in an honorable way, flourishing with good deeds in order to make Jesus look beautiful. I'm going to make that statement once again because I I really want you, the whole message this morning hinges upon this statement. When Peter starts talking about how we are to live in light of our government and its officials and politics, he wants us to live in relationship with them in an honorable way, flourishing with good deeds in order to make Jesus look beautiful. So let's read 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17, and then I want to make some observations about this text that I think will help us understand what Peter is getting at here. Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. The first thing that Peter tells us is that we are to be subject to every human institution. The word subject here could be translated submission. Be submissive. To every human institution. Now it's important to understand. Peter is not telling believers. That they are to wait. Until they are coerced by the government. In order to be subject. He's not saying wait until you are forced. By the government. To be submissive to the government. Before you are submissive. He is telling us. It is our responsibility. To submit ourselves. To the government. Okay? This is something we have a responsibility to do. This is something that we take the initiative in. We as believers are supposed to take the initiative to submit ourselves and subject ourselves to every human institution. When Peter says every human institution, I think he's talking about the government. Say, well, how do you know? Well, because right after he says every human institution, he follows it up by saying emperors and governors. So when when he says human institutions, I think he's talking about the government. And he says we are to submit ourselves, subject ourselves, initiate this submission to the government. Now, you got to remember when Peter is writing this letter, do you know who is the emperor of Rome? Nero. Let that just sink in for a minute. Nero is the emperor of Rome. And Peter just told Christians, submit yourself to him. Now, this is Nero before Rome burns and he blames it on Christians. 
Now, what's going to happen is Rome is going to burn and Nero is going to blame the Christians for Rome burning. And that's going to start this massive persecution of Christians. Right now, they're just kind of being isolated and, and ostracized and, and, and dismissed and, and pushed aside. And the massive persecution hasn't started yet. But nevertheless, Nero is a God hater. Nero is a man who demands that everyone say Caesar is Lord. So this is not a man that we would say honors God or loves God that Peter's telling his Christian brothers and sisters to submit to. We do not submit to government officials only if they are godly and righteous. We submit in spite of the fact that they are not godly and righteous. Christians are supposed to obey the laws and respect authority, and we don't get to dismiss the laws and the rulers that we don't like. Now, unless it is explicitly denounced in Scripture, we are to obey the laws of this land. We are to obey the rules of this land, even if you don't like them. Really quiet here this morning. Seriously. So everyone understand his first statement here? Subject yourself, submit yourself to the, the government officials and the government and the rules and the laws of the nation, even if you don't like them, and I would say, with the exception of if what they're asking or demanding you to do is explicitly prohibited in Scripture. Okay? Second, Peter then goes on to tell us that the role that, these, that this government has, the emperor sends his governors to do something. What, what is it that this government, what role do they play in society? He says... To punish evil and praise good. And then Peter says Christians do good. Look at it. Verse 13. Governors are sent by him, the emperor, to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. And then he says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good. So the government is to punish evil, promote good, Christians do good. Christians do good. Live in such a way that you are praised by your government and its officials for the good that you do. Now, this indicates to us that there is some overlap between a secular government's good and a godly good. There is some overlap. Follow me here. What the government declares as good does have some overlap with what godly good is. They do overlap. Now, do they line themselves up perfectly? Of course not. Of course not. But they do overlap. So there is a sense in which we, as we do good in society, 
underneath the authority of our government, as we do good, the government is going to recognize that it is good. Otherwise, there'd be nothing to praise. Are we clear on this? You understand what he's saying here? Nod with me if you're, if you're understanding. If you're not, I'll, I'll explain it again. Okay? Government punishes evil. Government praises good. Christians do good so that when the government sees you doing good, you get praised for it. But this brings us to a very important question. How do we as Christians do good in a society that makes our good peculiarly Christian? In other words, can lost people do the good of a secular government? Of course they can. They do it every day. So there is a sense in which lost people and Christians can do the good of a, of a secular government. So then what makes our good explicitly Christian? If the lost people can do the same good that we can do in a secular government, then what makes what we do Christian? What makes it Christian good? Now, I believe there are three or four answers to this, but I just want to focus on one this morning. How is it that the good we do under the authority of our government, under the authority of our government officials, how is it that what we do becomes explicitly Christian? I believe the answer is simply this. We are to do good to our enemies. Jesus says in Luke 6, 35, love your enemies. Do good expecting nothing in return and reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Now guess what the lost world doesn't do? That. The lost world doesn't do that. The lost world loves their friends. They love those who are on their side, but they will hate the other. And they will treat the other horribly. Christians, however, are not supposed to be that. And isn't that what we see today in society? Is that not what we see today? Do we not see people saying, this is the side I choose. I choose this political side or I choose this political side. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to love the people on my side. I'm going to talk well about the people on my side. I'm going to honor the people on my side. But the people on this other side, I can say whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. I can act however I want because they're on the other side. That's the political environment we live in today, church. And Jesus is saying, love those on the other side. Love those on the other side. Love that president you didn't vote for. Love those government officials you didn't vote for. Submit to them even though you didn't vote for them. You don't think they're good for the country. And unfortunately, we have many professing Christians that act just like the lost world. I was so tempted today, so tempted. The only reason I didn't do it is because I thought Brother James would not want me to do it, so I didn't do it. But I was so tempted today to get clips of 
both Republican and Democrat rallies and let you hear what professing Christians say about their political enemies. I just wanted to put them up and just play like five minutes of just stuff they say about each other. Professing Christians. You see, because professing Christians are getting caught up in the idea that it is okay to say whatever I need to say about the enemy because they're bad for the country. Let me ask you a question. Was Nero good for Rome? No. Was Nero good for the Christians? No. And guess what Peter says? Honor him. Submit to his rule. But we got a problem in the church by professing Christians. We think we can say and do anything we want as long as this person is not on our side. We think the ends justifies the means. We pick sides. We speak about the opposing officials and government any way that we want. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus says, you can't do that and look like me. I'm on social media. I'm on Facebook. I see the stuff Christians post. It's disgusting. On both sides. It's disgusting. And we think it's okay because it's politics. We think it's okay because we've picked sides. You can't act that way and look like Jesus. Don't act like the devil in the name of Jesus. Peter says, as God's servants, you're free from evil. And it's God's will that you do politics this way. Do you understand that, church? It is God's will. God is cl has clearly told us how to do politics. He's clearly told us. Here's how you do it. You love the people that you don't agree with. You honor the officials that you don't agree with. You honor the people on the other side. You love them even if they view you as their enemy. How did Jesus win? Sacrificed himself. He loved. He served. He gave. How far we are. And listen, I expect the world to only love their friends and only love the people on their side and hate the other side. That's what we should expect. But not so with the church. Not so if we're going to look like Jesus. And then Peter at the, the end of this text, he's going to rattle off four imperatives. These imperatives of submission. He, he says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, if I just took those four points and that's all we talked about this morning, we would come, come away with the same exact application for us. Honor everyone. Period. Honor everyone. 
All human beings have been made in the image of God. As a result of being made in the image of God, they are worthy of dignity, respect, and honor. Simply because they are human beings made in the image of God. Then he says, love the brotherhood. While we are to honor every human being as image bearers of God, there is a special affection shown to the body of Christ. We as Christians show a special affection to those who are our brothers and sisters in God's family. Honor the emperor. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say fear the emperor, does he? Who does he say to fear? God. We fear God. We honor the emperor. If we get that messed up, if we start fearing the emperor and having reverence, that holy reverence for the emperor, we're going to get things messed up. We fear God. And because we fear God, we honor the emperor. We honor the emperor. Now, I have saved one phrase that I have skipped over in this text for the end. Because I think it is the the whole reason why any of this matters. Why does any of this matter? Peter says, we submit for the Lord's sake. Please let this weigh heavy on you this morning. We submit to every human institution, emperors or governors, We love our enemies in the way that we do politics for the Lord's sake. We do not submit ourselves or honor our government and its officials primarily for their sake, but primarily for the Lord's sake. What I think Peter means by the Lord's sake is that we are to live the way we have discussed this morning for the glory of Jesus, His gospel, and the spread of the kingdom. Why is Peter telling us this? Peter, why are you telling Christians under Roman oppression to honor Nero? I got news for you guys. If, If he can say to honor Nero, then we can say to honor any president we have, any governor we have, any mayor we have. But why, Peter? Why are you telling Christians under Roman oppression under the hand of Nero to honor him? Why is that important? Because we want to glorify Jesus. We want to spread the gospel. We want to spread the kingdom of God. So the questions arise. What kind of name are we giving to Jesus and his kingdom by the way we do politics? Church. I'm asking you that question. How are you making Jesus look by the way that you relate to the government? Are we making Jesus and his kingdom look beautiful and glorious by the way that we do this? Or are we doing it just like everybody else in the nation? Are we doing politics just like everybody else? Are we are we relating to the government just like everybody else? Or is there something distinctly Christian, Jesus glorifying, gospel spreading, kingdom loving about us that differs us from the way everybody else is doing it? 
Let me give you some ways. You say, Neil, practically, what does this look like? Practically, what does it look like? Let me give you some very practical things. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Gentleness. Faithfulness. Self-control. What would happen if Christians simply determined we are going to live those attributes that I just read out in our politics? What would happen? We're going to be gentle and kind and loving and patient and good. I'll be honest, I don't understand us sometimes. Church, I don't understand us. I, I, I see some of the things that get said by professing Christians in the political sphere, and I'm like, what are we doing? How can we call ourselves Christians and say that about somebody? How can we call ourselves Christians and, and act like that towards somebody? Just because they're a Republican and I'm a Democrat, just like because I'm a Democrat and they're a Republican, I get to say whatever I want. I get to act however I want. And Peter's saying, no, you don't get to do that. You're supposed to bear the fruit of the Spirit out in your life. You don't, get to, you don't get to do that in every area of your life and then put politics over here and say, over here I can act however I want. Over here I'll be really loving, gentle, and kind, and patient, and all that stuff. But over here I can act however I want to. It's not the way it works. We don't get to pick and choose when the fruit of the Spirit, what spheres of, of our life the fruit of the Spirit is supposed to be bore out in. Every area of our life. And Peter is obviously concerned about this because Peter is specifically saying, here's how I need you to act as citizens of God's kingdom in this wild world when it comes to politics. I want to end today by making mention of how Daniel Doriani and his commentary on this section ends his commentary. Our political order in the United States of America allows, even recommends, candid disagreements. Right? I mean, our political system is set up for disagreement. It's set up so that we can disagree and we can hash things out and we can, we can vote. And that's how our system is set up. Different than the Roman rule here. They didn't get to vote Nero out whenever they decided they didn't like him anymore especially when great issues of economy and justice, war and peace, life and death are debated. But we must disagree honorably, respectfully. We may think of Martin Luther King's protest against racism and segregation. His people, they did ignore some laws, including where people were allowed to sit and where they could go. Rallies swelled to large number, but the protests were nonviolent and respected the authorities even as they protested those same authorities. We too can speak and work to reform the ills of our society, remaining peaceful, loving our foes with accurate critique and respectful talk. We must do this remembering we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And our elder brother's kingdom, 
is not of this world. So let us give honor and respect and justice to all. Always submitting to the Lord first and to every human institution as we then can. In this way, we will silence the slanders. We will live as servants of God and we will honor the King of Kings. I thought it was a beautiful ending to his commentary. Are we going to disagree with government officials? Absolutely. As well we should. We should. Our system is set up to do that on purpose. Our founding fathers set it up on purpose so that we the people can vote people out we don't like and we can fight for laws that we think are good and try to remove ills of society. It's set up for us to do that. We, we should do that. It's a good thing. But it becomes a bad thing when we stop looking like Jesus to do it. When we make it our mission to submit first to Jesus in the way that he would have us conduct ourselves and live our lives and, and act in society as citizens of God's kingdom, when we submit to that first, it will affect the way that we do politics. It has to. It has to. If we, if, if we were to set up 30 different policies across the stage today, and y'all all were to come up and check where you fell on all these different policies, you know there'd be tons of different answers in this room, right? Tons of different answers in this room as to how to fix things and how to change things and what needs to be done. And I mean, it, it would be... I mean, the list, would, it would be crazy how different we would be into how we think things are done. Because we come from different backgrounds and we come from different positions. We have people who are teachers and those teachers are going to have a different view on how to solve certain things than someone who's a mechanic in this room might have. You see what I'm saying? We're going to have a whole list of differing opinions on, on how to do stuff in this country for good. And you know what? I'm really not interested and spending all of our time just arguing about that. That's all we would ever do, right? It's all we would ever do. Instead, holding these positions and, and doing our politics to try to, to encourage the position that we hold is fine, it's great, it's wonderful, but if we, we have to look like Jesus while we do it all because what we're doing first is representing the kingdom of God, we're representing Jesus, we're, rep we're not first representing whatever side or whatever policy we fall on. You see what I'm saying? Yes. I'm making sense here? Yes. I care more about us looking like Jesus than I do about whatever happens to the United States. That's right. And if you can't amen that, yes. we need to rethink some stuff. Yes. Yes. Because us standing for Jesus 
is our number one priority. It is our number one priority. And if there comes a time where the United States and looking like Jesus begins to split and separate even further and further, well, there's nothing I can do about that. I got to look like Jesus. I got to live like Jesus. Yes, I want the United States to be great and do everything that God wants it to do, but I've got to look like Jesus. That's what Peter's getting at. Peter's not saying you have to disregard politics or get out of politics or don't care about what happens in Rome and it doesn't really matter what happens. He's not saying that. He's just saying, listen, when it comes to our priority, we have to live like citizens of the kingdom of God. Submit to Christ first. Then submit to our government officials as we then can. Honor everyone. Make Jesus look beautiful. Make Jesus look beautiful. Then the lost world's going to have to go, how come you guys do politics so different than everybody else? And we'll say, can I talk to you about Jesus? How, how come you're able to love this person over here who has a completely different political view than you, how come you don't call him names and attack him and, and berate him and, and dishonor him? How come you, how come you, you act like that? Can, can I talk to you about Jesus? So that's what Peter's getting at. Our identity in Christ impacts our politics in the wild.